Here we are, back in the saddle. I'll try my darndest not to prattle. Instincts and experience are the things I trust when clearing cobwebs and dissolving rust. Hey, this is Spectrum West. I'm Al Ross, reappearing into your day with news, views, and personalities engaged in the abundant arts, culture, and humanities of western Wisconsin. Well, this week's guest list has been steeping for a while, so it's robust and it's strong. We welcome Laurie Chilifone and Jill Kelly, curators of a Pablo Center exhibit featuring the conceptual photographic art of Larry Stark. It's called In by Ten, Art by Five. The Red Barn Theater in Rice Lake presents Company, the musical, now through July 23rd. Our guest is director Kathy Jones-Wolf. For a few years now, I've watched with admiration as Emily Watkins plays her guitars in various configurations. And this week, I finally act on the comment, I gotta get to know her someday. And here's where we get the show on the road. Patty C. has a lot of friends from her days growing up in a big Chippewa Falls family, those near where she lives on her treasured Lake Halley, and those who became friends just by reading her columns in the Eau Claire Leader Telegram. It's only natural that when you pile up enough material, you figure out a way to consolidate and thus archive at the same time. Patty had the material, she had the publisher, and now she has the book here on Lake Halley. Some things that I read and some notes, random notes. I'd read something and go, oops, got to write that. I want to thank you for using the word sheephead. (laughs) To me, that sounds wrong. That's right. And it's not what we called it where I came from. When that essay came out in the leader, Gary Johnson, who, who was the editor at the time, he contacted me and said, everybody in the office thinks it's sheep's head. I typed back, they're all wrong. Not in Chippewa Falls, not in Tilden. You would not say sheep's head in Tilden. But thank you. Speaking of where I came from, I also appreciated the memory jerking reference to statue tag. I had forgotten all about that. You also talk about hearts and gizzards. One of my favorite things to eat. You talk about the Avon lady, and you mention Jump River Rosie. I met her once. Cool stuff. Now, as the youngest of what can truly be called a passel of kids, it's often true that the kid riding in the caboose gets a little spoiled. Have you admitted to any of that spoilage, Patty? I think I was spoiled with love. But uh, I did get away with things that my older siblings never would. I think because my parents were just worn down. You know, they they had their first child at, oh, 19 and 23. And then they had a child every year or two until my um, next oldest sibling, Dave. And then I came along seven years later. I was a surprise Pleasant surprise. A pleasant surprise. But in many ways, there were no rules. I mean, you you, you couldn't say shut up and you um, had to be nice. But Mm -hmm. really, I had free reign. My parents didn't control what I did. And Mm -hmm. it really helped shape me, I'm sure. The deeper I got into my notes, the more I discovered that maybe this won't be an orderly discussion. I'm just going to say a couple things. July 14th, hey, happy birthday. Thank you. Gerald Ford and me. And, of course, Bestial Day. Oh, is it? I didn't put those all together. Whistle pig. I haven't heard that in years. Oh, yes. So many names for woodchuck. I didn't know that a groundhog is a woodchuck. No, me neither until just a while ago. Patty, the waitress, were you good at 
being a waitress? I was quite good at being a car hop and a waitress. Oh, a car I, hop. Where? Oh, I started off as a car hop at the Falls Drive-In in Chippewa Falls. It okay. was on Old Highway J. People called it Tubbies. I was a car hop first for two summers. My two older sisters also car hop there. And then I was a waitress. I loved going home from both jobs with my pockets full of money. Another thing you talk about in the book is uh, fire, campfires and stuff. Well, you know, we're a lot more like moths than we know, I think. Fish tanks, they have the same effect. I'm sure they do, but they're not as fun to poke. uh, No, they lower your blood pressure. Here's something not many people admit to. You're a fan of dumpster diving. Oh, absolutely. You're good at it? I'm good at it, and it's a compulsion, and I live in a small house, so I have to drive past the free signs or the piles by the side of the road. I have gone into many dumpsters, and I found treasures. When I lived in Eau Claire, I had a three-story house, and I filled it with things that I found by the side of the road. And once I filled the house, I would find treasures and paint them, and then I have a lot of nieces and nephews, so I helped furnish so many first apartments with garbage. It's called repurposing. It is. Nothing wrong with that. We're in the studio with Patty C. She has written the book Here on Lake Halley. It's been published by the Wisconsin Historical Society Press, a very delightful book. It's a compilation of a lot of the essays that uh, she has written over a span of... Probably 10 years. 10 years, and many have appeared in the Eau Claire Leader Telegram. What's the name of that column? Sawdust Stories. Sawdust Stories. You share that with some people. I do indeed. BJ Hollers and Nick Butler, both very fine writers. Good company. There's a lot of quote-unquote becoming in the book, things you became and either the process or the influences that helped your becoming process. Except I don't uh, believe in the book one finds out how you became a writer. Good question. I think I was destined to because I I grew up in a family of storytellers. My dad could go to the grocery store or the bar or work or church and come home with just a phenomenal story. My mom was also a storyteller, but in a different way. She chronicled her life by writing letters. My older sisters moved away, one before I was even born. And so my mom constantly wrote to my older sisters Calling was very expensive, and so she kept my sisters up to date about what was going on in the family. And then as soon as I could hold a pencil, I also started to write letters. And I have one sister who is not a hoarder, but she is a sentimental saver. She saved every letter that my mom ever wrote and every letter that I ever wrote and probably every letter that that anyone ever wrote to Julianne. And so as my mom was dying, Julie brought these letters home and we sat around and read them. And my mom hadn't been able to speak for about a year. And so we could hear our mom's voice in those letters. So I was a letter writer, and then I went to Holy Ghost grade school, and um, I had so many teachers. Mrs. Jeanette Prince was just so wonderful in fifth grade, and she told me I should think about being a writer. And when I look back, I think, who says that to a 10-year-old? But it just, I mean, I still think of it and, and remember it, and it in many ways changed my life. And then when I went to McDonald, 
in Chippewa Falls. I had so many other wonderful creative writing teachers, English teachers. Mm -hmm. In some ways, they ruined my life because they <laughs> they believed that I could be a writer, which made me believe I could be a writer. So Marty Crow, I, I just adore, and he influenced me, and so many others. You, uh, as we alluded earlier, write that column for the newspaper. Being a columnist is actually one of the best things that a writer can do from a calisthenics angle, because it's kind of like doing push-ups and jumping jacks every day. Because a writer, um, it takes practice. It does indeed. One of my dream jobs is being a columnist because I just walk through the world and I have to be a good observer. Mm -hmm. As a writer, I've been a good observer much of my life, but knowing that I have a deadline once a month makes me pay extra close attention. What will I write about? Not just things of interest to me or of my family, but also my neighborhood, Lake Halley, the Chippewa Valley. Mm -hmm. I try not to just focus on my family or just focus on what's happening across the lake. Though I teased my family, I could just spend time with them and write a column about them probably once a week because there are many of them and sure. they're really, really interesting and yeah. funny and quirky. Same with my neighbors. I could honestly produce a column about my sweet and funny and quirky neighbors uh -huh. once a week. But <laughs> I try to vary it. You mentioned my husband, Bruce. I could write about him once a week. Oh, he, sure. he, yeah. He's a very funny man. And he could write back. Yes, he can. So as an essayist, you write something, and it's relatively short. Now you have a book that includes all of it. Was there a before and after sensation after getting this book done? Did it feel different having a book full of things than it did at each column? It did. One book came in the mail, and I was doing a talk a few days after that book came in the mail, and I was talking about writing about place, and I, I almost started to cry when I took the book out of my bag. It was a small crowd of maybe 20. I said, this is the first time that I'm going to read from this book. It's a really big deal to me, and they all clapped. And then I really started to tear up. So there's that, just thinking about all of the time and energy and, and tears that went into these individual pieces, having it compiled in such a way. My family stories, my neighborhood stories, Chippewa Valley stories are going to be read by a wider audience. That That's really touching to me. Here's what I call it. Seeing is believing. So your last name is a verb now. Good. It's, to see. We don't read, we see. Patty see. The book is here on Lake Halley. Congratulations. Where can we get the book? Daughters Books locally. You can get it at the local store and you can get it through the publisher. And as always, you can get it online from Amazon. Thank you for coming in. And again, congratulations. It's a great book. Thanks. Really happy to be here. Uh, Patty will do a short program next Wednesday evening, the 20th at the local store. The meet and greet starts at 6.30. Book signing to follow. And she predicts there'll be um, an afterglow across the street. Possibly. Probably. This is Spectrum West. So nice of you to join us. A couple of memos. This is the weekend of the Northern Wisconsin State Fair through Sunday at the fairgrounds in Chippewa Falls. Get all you need to know online at nwsfa.com. Stockholm Art Fair also going on Saturday. B.J. Hollers and his crew are hosting the second Midwest Artist Academy as we speak. They present a culminating show at the end, and it's Saturday on the UWEC campus. They're active on Instagram, and that might be the place for more information.
watch the door and in between I drink black coffee love to hand me down the chances of you having seen and heard Emily Watkins play her guitar are very good because she injects herself into as many musical experiences as she can. It's all blossomed in her years at UW-Eau Claire, involved with the Jazz Studies program, until today when her schedule of gigs is full and varied. I'm in the same category. I've seen her play often, enjoying the blending of her instrument into groups, large and small, and the occasional guitar solo, where the spotlight proves her talent. Black coffee. Take me back to young Emily and the enthusiasm <laughs> that led to the player that you are today. Well, you know, I gotta say, like any middle child, especially like a middle child to an older sister and a younger sister, you always want to be like your older sister. And she played guitar. She had this little nylon string, three-quarter size kind of toy guitar, and I wanted more than anything in the world to try to learn how to play that. So I would just take it <laughs> without asking sometimes. And I would just plunk through it and try to figure out stuff. She was taking lessons with uh, Roger Anderson, the big teacher for like maybe 25, 30 years in the area. But yeah, he had sheet music like written out and stuff. And a lot of it was in tablature, which is um, kind of easy enough once you figure out the scheme of how to read it. So I would just take her guitar music from her lessons and I would try reading it. And my dad would say that I'd practice more than her sometimes, and I wasn't even taking lessons. So when I got old enough to hold a big size guitar, I uh, I was probably like 10 years old. I started taking lessons, and hmm. I got an Alvarez uh, acoustic uh, steel string for Christmas. Now, you didn't get the glamorous experience of going away to school, but you had <laughs> uh, one of the best music universities right in your hometown. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So how about that choice? Was that a no-brainer for you? I knew I wanted to like stay in the area. And actually, uh, my original plan to go to school was to go to school for chemistry. So I was like, I can do both while I'm here. Um, I'll try that out. And then, uh, yeah, in my schooling, I kind of realized that I spent more time in the practice room than I did studying in the library. So... Um, I kind of went away from that. I think it was kind of like kind of a gradual. Were you playing gigs as a guitar player in school? Yeah, Yeah. I think that was the thing. I became a little bit too busy to kind of be doing both things at the same time, and I was like working as well, kind of just trying to balance everything. I had to get rid of something, and I went for the thing that wasn't paying my bills at the time. I've always revered jazz guitarists because of the cool chords they know and the rhythms they can keep. Mm-hmm. Your time with the uh, award-winning UW-Eau Claire Jazz One Ensemble had to be kind of like what hot, humid weather does to my lawn. <laughs> it grows like crazy. <clears throat> Big growth time for you? Absolutely, yeah. That was the place where I learned how to, I guess, function in a, a band or a setting that was professional. You get the charts for the gig, you know, not too long before it. So you have to come with your stuff like ready. Your chops have to be at a certain level. And then you have a band of 17 people that are all just doing that. So being surrounded by all those awesome people. And There's another good guitar player who shares your name, Emily. Mm-hmm. Um was that Emily an inspiration for you? She didn't get to hang around very long, but uh, yeah, Emily Remler, of course, was was huge. She must be thought of by people like you as a pioneer. Oh yeah, women in jazz are a very oh, how do I want to say this? So I've played in a lot of different big bands and jazz groups over the years. I am always 
one of two or sometimes the only woman in the group and it's been like that my entire life and i know that before that it's been worse like sometimes there are bands that have no women at all so it's really awesome to just find killing instrumentalists that also happen to be women too it's just very inspiring and then to have one that like even shares my name and plays my instrument is kind of cool so. Did you find yourself listening to her a lot? No. Yeah, and you know, not even just because she's a woman. She knows her way around the blues, which is, you know, jazz sure. is born from the blues. And it's, yeah, I just, I, I really, I really dig it. Emily Watkins in the studio with us. She's a musician, a guitarist, actually a multi-stringed instrumentalist, <laughs> I found out. What else do you play and teach? Right, yeah. Obviously, guitar is my main thing, but I do also teach ukulele. That's oh. been kind of a fun one. Um I have students ranging from five years old to 81 years old. Um, It's really an instrument that a lot of people can get behind. And then I also do teach electric bass as well. Um, That's been kind of a a recent thing for Mm -hmm, me. mm -hmm. I started teaching it because I really wanted to learn it better myself. Mm, Good perspective to have. Yeah. You can't teach people unless you're learning something yourself. Totally. Your website is a lot of fun. You are very proficient at putting Emily, 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 Emily <laughs> yeah. groups together. Yeah, yeah. So that's been that's been kind of fun to figure out. That's um, another area of music that I really want to get well-rounded in is music production and recording mm-hmm. and filming videos because it, it's such a useful tool, you know, obviously for self-promotion. But um, I have a lot of fun doing that. It's definitely been a huge kind of learning thing for me. I started with just one Emily, and then I had to get a bunch of different programs to put multiple Emilys on there. And yeah, so many parts to it. Things you can buy, honestly. It's become kind of an expensive hobby for me. Your website also has the uh, infamous national anthem played in (laughs) how many keys? Did you ever figure that out? Definitely more than one, for sure. I know that, (laughs) which is not how it's supposed to be. Many more than one. Yeah. What an interesting challenge. To figure out how you could accompany this young woman who sang the national anthem about the worst it's ever been sung. Yeah. <laughs> when did you decide to take that on? And again, I suggest people go to the website and listen to If you like music, you're going to be cringing and... <laughs> You know, but it's it's worth the fun. It was snowing one day, like late in February, when it wasn't supposed to be snowing, and I didn't have anything to do or anywhere to go. You know what? Why not? Let's be silly on the internet for a day. Tell me about theater, because guitar is often an unsung hero of pit orchestras. But, you know, even in jazz orchestras, the guitar is such a wonderful blending instrument. Mm-hmm. What have you done there, theater-wise? I, you know, I've done a lot with the community theaters, like in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, I have children's theater and the theater guild and, you know, stuff through the university as well. And I've always really liked those gigs because there's so many different genres of music that happen within one musical. And the best thing that you can be as a guitar player is versatile. It's all totally different. But like as a guitar player that wants to work, like you have to be able to nail all those styles. So I've done a lot of stuff here locally for that. Good. But then this past summer, I got a contract with the Rocky on Repertory Theater no in Grand Lake, Colorado, which for you. looks like a postcard every day. It's yeah. gorgeous. It's three mountains around the whole lake. I got to meet a lot of people that are doing really cool things. There's mm. a few people actively doing Broadway tours right now. So, yeah, it was cool to get connections there, but then it was cool to just hang out in the mountains and play mm-hmm. theater with a bunch of really talented people. One summer? I got asked, actually, to do it again this summer, but my main kind of musical endeavor right now is um, the eight-piece cover band that I play with. Um, mm-hmm. We are called Uncommon Denominator. <laughs> I see you all over the place. Good. Yeah, that's they're a very fun group to play with. They're killing musicians. Yeah, it feels so good to play with them, and 
it's so fun playing for other people too. We just love to have fun and love to sure. get people dancing. Oh yeah, well that's yeah. what playing's all about. Oh yeah, you got to get out and entertain people. Guitarists out there in the audience, we always like to hear about instruments. What do you have? Do some <laughs> name dropping for us. My main acts right now for rock. Uncommon Denominator, all that stuff, is my American Professional Strat. Mm. I love Fender. Oh, actually, I should say it's the American Professional Strat 2. It's like the second iteration of it. It uh. just came out, I think, a year ago. The thing that makes it special, there's a switch on it where you can turn it, the three pickups, into like a tele mode. So it's kind oh, of like wow. you have a Telecaster and a Stratocaster in the same guitar. You have kind of a semi-hollow body that I saw on your website. The red one? Yeah. Okay, so that one, it's not vintage, but it definitely has kind of that like older sound to it for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. You play a... that a lot in jazz orchestra and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. That's, that's my your main... jazz guitar? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I feel like you kind of have to have a guitar for kind of every little thing you're doing. Yeah, so my jazz one is my Ibanez Artcore AF75. Got that when I was like a senior in high school and because oh, I just wow. really wanted a hollow body and... um you know, it's a great deal. I've always been a uh, advocate for instruments that you don't need to spend a lot of money on because it's really the player that makes the sound, not so much the instrument. You know, yeah. having a great instrument can definitely set you the next level up, but you got to learn how to play your chords. It's a marriage between that and amplification. Totally, well. exactly. What do you play through? My go-to for that uh, for years has been my uh, Fender Hot Rod Deluxe 3 tube amp. Oh. just has a single 12-inch speaker. Cool. Yeah. Very vintage-sounding warm is that jazz or the eight piece use that for yep, both? It's both of them yep for the jazz i just run my guitar through it but for the eight piece band i have a line six helix which sure. has been a game changer for me that thing's crazy it's like a computer <laughs> like it's uh it's an audio interface as well as being just like a, a multi-effects board there's lots of different things you can program on it honestly within the thing you can like make amplifiers you can get as specific as like okay, I'm going to have a ribbon mic on this amp and it's going to be four inches away from the speaker and <laughs> offset from the center of the speaker this far. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Every time I turn it on, I learn something new. <laughs> and you can trip over stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you can say, oh, I, okay, what exactly. are the numbers I have to remember? Exactly. What, what pedals do I hit for that? Exactly. How I... And it's like sometimes you'll get caught where it's like, oh, I lost all my sound. How do I get yeah. that? So, <laughs> yeah. How about uh, Emily Watkins' recordings? There are some on your website that are attached to YouTube videos. CDs, what, what's in your plans for that? Yeah, well, okay, so currently right now, I should, I should start there. I play with the Uncommon Denominator, but yep. I also do play with another funk band that records original music. They are called Scoop, hmm. like ice cream scoop. From around here? Yeah, university guys. Some of them play in the Uncommon Denominator, too. Yeah, they just released an album. <laughs> the album is called For the Ladies. I played all the guitar parts for it, and I actually sang a tune on that one, too. That was a lot of fun. I love session work. I love bringing someone's vision to life through my guitar. It's, I think, the thing that makes it worth it for me. (laughs) My favorite CDs, MP3s on flash drives and things to play when I'm driving is jazz guitars. Mm -hmm. I just love instrumental jazz guitar. Are you up for doing some of that stuff? Would you do a jazz guitar instrumental compilation yeah do you write stuff do you write original stuff i do write originals a lot of them are like guitar and vocals but one thing i really do like to do is like arranging of just tunes for solo guitar i do some of that on jazz guitar but then i also do quite a bit of that on acoustic guitar as well like finger style acoustic arrangements of tunes so i would definitely love in the future sometime to throw together like an album we need that 
Yeah. <laughs> I need it. I, I need one of those for driving. I'm, I'm looking for good new stuff. You obviously have what it takes talent-wise, but you also have what appears to be what it takes to produce it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I've kind of figured out how to make uh, good noises in my, in, my, in my bedroom. That's where I do most of my recording right now. <laughs> yeah. Hey, thanks for coming in. It's fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. We'll have you back. And when the album comes out, I, yeah. get, <laughs> I get the first one. Yeah, you got it. Thanks. It's all yours. This is Spectrum West. I'm Al Ross. Back after, man, it was about five weeks, I think, of hiatus and vacation and what else I had to get in. Cooking up a good show for next week. We'll tell you about it later on. For now, the very busy Red Barn Theater continues its 61st season near Rice Lake. And... July 13th, which was yesterday, was the opening of the musical comedy Company, the Sondheim classic that debuted in 1970 and has never really been allowed to retire. Every few years, it's a Broadway revival, so it's earned the label Timeless. It's the third production and first musical of the Red Barn season, and we reached out to veteran director and choreographer Kathy Jones-Wolfe for a look at it. Your theater history, where and when did it get its start? I'm originally from Ohio, born to a mother who was a dancer. She had the studio. I was the third child of two older brothers, and when I popped out, the doctor said, well, here's your dancer. <laughs> so <laughs> You're actually just telling me that it's in your blood. Exactly. And then my dad's side, his mother was a concert pianist. So there's a little bit of music on that end as uh -huh. well. So I kind of, you know, I went through high school, went through college. Then I moved to New York. I moved out six weeks later with a national tour, did that for a couple of years, did the Broadway company. And then I eventually moved back to take over the dance studios. That's how I got theater in my blood. Wow. Yeah. You can't deny that, can you? No. It's a comfortable world for me. You know, I feel very comfortable in musical theater. Mm -hmm. It's what you should be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's uh, now segue, Kathy, to the play. Mm -hmm. 1970 is the year that it's attributed to. Got 14 Tony nominations, won six of them. 
Stephen Sondheim, he's the guy. Book George Firth was the author of that. Interestingly, company not only played in those early 70s, but there were revivals on Broadway in 1995 and again in 2006, 2018, and 2021. It, it, it appears to be one of those pieces that just does not want to go away. It's a piece that... It doesn't have to be done in the 70s like it was originally written. It can You, you can make it current time. Oh, there's a few little things that would make it more period in that there was an answering machine as opposed to voicemail. They probably updated that with the new version with cell phones instead of a landline. Mm-hmm. But the piece is fresh, I okay. think. Have the revivals also included, well, here's a good general question. When you do a revival, and this one, by the way, has won awards for Best Broadway Musical Revival. When you do a revival, do you upgrade it? Do you update it from a costuming standpoint and sets and that some, kind of thing? Some, yeah, sometimes they do. Sometimes they keep it as the original. Mm-hmm. This latest one, the one that just won the Tonys, they did a major overhaul. They switched the main character to a female instead of a male. And I haven't seen it, but I think there's a a gay couple in it, which my version doesn't have. We're doing the original version. Mm -hmm. And so there's there's some changes. Mm -hmm. Sondheim was very well known for tackling tough issues within his his plays. So Mm -hmm. he probably wouldn't mind all that, although he hasn't been gone that long. So he probably knew about a lot of the revivals. He was a part of, of this change, this latest change. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. It's been out in the works for a little while before it actually landed on the stage. Is it possible to give us a Cliff's Notes quick version of what the play's about? Oh, sure. It's about a 35th birthday, I know. It's about a 35th birthday to somebody who at this point in his life is, a, is a, still a bachelor. And it's little vignettes. There's five couples in it, and they're friends of his, very dear friends of his. The little vignettes are stories that have stuck in his mind, conversations he's had with this couple or an evening out with this couple. And I'm taking it from the perspective of he's looking over those past 35 years and what memories are near and dear to him because these people are all right now in his living room throwing him like a surprise 35th birthday. And he's like, who throws a 35th birthday? (laughs) Only my crazy married friends. All the wives are very concerned about Robert finding the right girl. He really should be married. He's missing out. And the guys, the husband's going, I don't know, that single life looks pretty good, you know. (laughs) I wish I could have a week of being single again. So it's the pros and cons of married life, the gives and the takes, the funny things. It's a story where people watching the show might go, oh, gosh, that couple reminds me of so-and-so and and -and so-and-so, you know, in their own life. You know, the wife who is always correcting the husband's story because it's not quite right. I know a couple like that. It's funny. It's interesting how his life gets weaved through these five couples. And then there's also three single girls he has had some time dating There's a song in the show that talks about him finding just the right person. He's looking for somebody who's a little bit like Joanne, but a little bit like Sarah, these friends of his. If I could find somebody that's a combination of these two women that I love dearly, is he ever going to find that? 
Yeah, there's some neat music. One of the tunes that became a company hit was Ladies Who Lunch. Mm-hmm. It may have even become a, th- a theme song for Elaine Stritch, and I suggest people go online and watch a, a video of her doing that song. But I warn you, once you go online and start watching Elaine Stritch stuff, you'll spend a little time there. I mean, there there's a wonderful YouTube video of her singing a thing called I'm Still Here. And I had to watch it again yeah. this morning after discovering it. A week or so. <laughs> so what about when you cast a classic? Do you have role-defining people in mind sometimes when you cast a regional version of something? Do you say, you know, I got to find somebody who's kind of Elaine-like for that? Yeah, some of the songs need to be done in a certain way because that song tells so much about the character who's singing it. Okay. Sometimes it's an age issue. The actor who sings the song that you're talking about, the mm-hmm. Elaine Stritch song, needs to be more jaded lived life longer, Uh more life experience. She's already been through a couple of marriages and she comes across as being really tough. But in that song, you can see how vulnerable she is because she's really reacting to women that are in this nightclub that she's been watching. Um, Why is she looking at me? Well, she probably isn't. She's just looking in that direction, but she takes it kind of personally and she acts real tough, but there's some vulnerability to her. You know, you have to find somebody who you think can handle whatever particular song that character is going to sing vocally. You know, does she have the range for it? I was super lucky with this cast. I actually have some new people that haven't performed at the barn or haven't been there in a while. But boy, do they fit their role. You do a good show like Sondheim's Mm -hmm. and people come out for it. Yeah, we're really looking forward to this. On the phone with Kathy Jones-Wolf, she is directing the classic musical comedy Company at the Red Barn Theater in Rice Lake, July 13th through the 23rd. The Red Barn Theater, now in its 61st season, the Red Barn season must fly by very quickly because it's literally nonstop. Maybe 10 days between closing nights and opening nights. What's it like uh, getting caught up in a whirlwind like that? Well, I always do the big musical there, biting at the bit for the show ahead of me to get on stage so I can get in the rehearsal space and get going. I have four weeks to put together a big musical, which usually has a bigger cast, singing, it has dancing. You must have company. Your dog is barking. Well, actually... (laughs) Two are barking from opposite sides of the house. So ah, I'm, okay. <laughs> we don't I'm mind. on a portable phone. <laughs> we don't mind that. Um, it's, a, it's fast and furious from our standpoint, especially on a, the Sondheim show, because the music is difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, he pushes the limits. I really have musicians in this show because they're picking up this music quick. They can read music, they can harmonize, and they're not afraid of the challenge. Good. It's driving them. Within the first week, they had almost all the music learned. There's a lot of songs in this piece. Well, again, we're Mm -hmm. looking forward to company at the Red Barn Theater in Rice Lake through July 23rd. Thank you so much for spending time with us. It sounds like it's going to be a wonderful production, as are most at the Red Barn Theater. So impressive, 61 seasons. How many of those seasons have you been involved, if you care to mention? Gosh, I think I started there... 2013, maybe, something around there. Wonderful. Break a leg. Have fun and keep in touch with us here at uh, Wisconsin Public Radio. It's been a joy talking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. See you later. Bye. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? That's what it's really about. 
isn't it? That's what it's really about. Really about. You are loving, 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 You're listening to Spectrum West and hopping back to company for just a second. I'd like to let you know that uh, John Dutmer is the music director up at the Red Barn Theater for this. The cast of 14 includes players from Barron, Rice Lake, Chippewa Falls, Cumberland, Almina, and Cameron. That's the magic of regional theater, isn't it? Curtain times, 7.30. Tickets by phone or you can go online to Red Barn Theater dash Rice Lake. Com. And by the way, watercolors by Sarah Riley are up in the gallery. Some of the music events that go on in the Chippewa Valley over the summer include things like Tuesday Night Blues at Owen Park, Next week, Tuesday, it's Howard Guitar, Ledkey, and Blue Max. Howard always likes to play around his birthday in mid-July. Sounds like summer concert series at Phoenix Park in Eau Claire. Uh, tonight, the 14th, Dave's Manual with Matt Kaflish and Wildcat Hawkins. And let's see. Music in the Park in Colfax from 7 to 8 p.m. on Thursdays. So that's tonight if you're listening on Thursday. Tower Park, downtown Colfax, free. Refreshments available, blah, blah, blah. Tonight it's Papa Bear Norton. So have some fun there. Now you know it's refreshing to discover an interesting someone living in your midst. Someone you might never have run across. Then you realize that person took the time to document much of who he was and is. The process of getting to know him is streamlined, but then in the case of Larry Stark, once you see the documentation, an exhibit of his conceptual photographic art, you end up wanting to take the time the exhibit saves. So you're back at the beginning, which is okay. The exhibit is called In by Ten, Art by Five, and it's co-curated by graphic artist Laurie Chilifone and UWEC art professor Joe Kelly. We met recently outside Pablo Center's Hanson Gallery, wherein one makes Larry Stark's acquaintance. So how did this exhibit in particular become your responsibility? Who got the charge, and did one of you bring the other person into the fold? I think um, it started with me. For many years, I've been asking Larry to show his art in other shows that I've been part of. Sometimes he did, mostly he refrained, and then as he was slowing down in his art making, he still makes art, but he's tapered down quite a bit. I think he realized that it would be fun to utilize the Pablo as a, a place to show his art in Eau Claire and just have one big last hurrah, bring people together. So I did ask Jill to help because in the past she's asked me twice to help her with shows that she's put together. Now, is that a friendly thing, or could that be perceived as payback? It's friendly. I, I really enjoy working with Jill. We complement each other and kind of broaden the 
scope of things, I think. When Lori asked me, I thought this is pretty cool because Larry is one of these people you probably haven't heard of. You've heard of Andy Warhol. You've heard of people from the 60s who are thinking conceptually. You've heard of Bernd and Hilla Becker, who are photographers in Germany in the 1960s that influenced a lot of people and people who were thinking conceptually. But Larry was too, and he was from the Midwest. But he never became, you know, like one of these very famous people. And I think he just didn't conform. Um, but it's exciting to think that we could promote somebody like him because he was doing really interesting things, and it's almost like a time capsule from that time period, looking at people and events, American culture, what was happening during that time. So mm -hmm. that's exciting to me, when you can sort of like learn about something new and you can relate it and you can have perspective on it. So the curating process. With a guy like Larry Stark, who's been around for a long time, this sort of had to feel like you were putting on an estate sale. Yeah, we, we looked at over 800 images when we started, and there's like 1,200, he said, complete, including some of his commissions. It took several days to look through it, and we also um, thought about the scale of the, the Pablo Center's gallery here, the James Hansen Gallery, and we, we wanted to bring the number to a, a lean showing so that it, it wasn't uh, cluttered in the gallery so you could actually enjoy the space. What's the difference between, because I'm sure you guys have done it individually, uh, what's the difference between curating individually or by yourself and then as a team? Is it easier? Is it tougher? Do you have to feel like you have to agree on things? What, what kind of discussions do you have? I think it's more complex than working by yourself, but it's wonderful because you can bounce ideas. When you're not sure about something and you say, hey, Lori, what do you think about this? You know, she'll give me her feedback and we'll, maybe we think differently, but we collaborate a lot just in thinking what's related to what, and then we start, you know, creating a context for all the work that goes together. And I think there's a really strong context, and I think it's come about with lots of discussion, and that's pretty rich. I like working as a team more than I like working hmm. independently. Absolutely. The gallery, the Hanson Gallery, is fairly large. There aren't that many pieces in How many pieces are there in this show? About 53. But that's actually a a lot of pieces. But it doesn't feel large when you walk in. I've seen exhibits where the whole middle of the gallery is full. This isn't like that. Yeah, well, we talked a lot about opening up the gallery with no divisions. You know, that's one of the considerations of having a show. It's like, how is someone going to move through the gallery space? Where do they begin? Where do they end? Having the gallery open actually gave us more options. Actually, because Larry's, the kite piece that you see hanging up in the rafters, it's beautiful to see it from a distance. If you step back, you can you get uh, more perspective, which is a lot like the wallet piece, too. Yeah, know. the gallery is rich in vertical space. You know, you can see everything from anywhere you are. And then we also brought in an audio element by um, putting a playlist together of music that Larry listened to while he was in his studio making art. So that, that's what's running in the background. It was classical when I was in there. Yes, there's a whole gamut of music in there. Definitely classical, jazz, blues, rock, everything from Janis Joplin to Don Cherry. We're sitting outside the uh, James W. Hansen Gallery at the Pablo Center. Laurie Chilifone and Jill Kelly, co-curators of a Larry Stark photography retrospective. It's called In by Ten, Art by Five. You can view the, the exhibit virtually as well, yeah? Yes, there's just a few pieces, not the entire show online, so definitely make it downtown to see the show this summer. It's up through August 28th.
I do weird projects too and call them art. That's a quote by Larry. The concept behind a work of art is more important than the artist's product, I read. Laurie, can being a collagist, if that's what you are, part-time, can that be conceptual? They start out and they just become something by doing it. Do you start with a concept? Not usually, but I amass a lot of imagery that inspires me. And not knowing how it's going to come out in the end, I just kind of weed through it. And it just takes shape through the process of putting things next to each other. Jill, as an artist, how important is it to have a concept at the beginning? I don't know if I start with an idea, but I think I always end with an idea. Very much like some of these artists that were working in the 60s, I'm interested in ideas. What are people thinking about? How can I learn from this piece? So I think concepts are really important. But I don't start with it necessarily. I'm inspired by the world around me. I work in the community garden locally. I make the garden part of my artwork. And it's the idea of community and food, you know, which is kind of a simple idea. I mean, sometimes it's an abstract way to think about concept, but I think concept's always important. How do you think the art of the 60s and the the art of uh, Larry Stark, a young guy, differs from the art of today? Because you mentioned bringing students here. Well, I think, like in the 1960s, Solowit made a statement about just what you said. The idea is more important than the object. Or it can be. Hmm. It can be the thing that the object of beauty is the idea. And I think there came a movement out of that. And I think Larry was very influenced by those kinds of people that were working at that time. As a professor at the university, we're very interested in students thinking about what they're doing, thinking about the world around them and interpreting the world around them. You know, what do you have to say? What are you thinking about? Larry calls himself, he actually says, Larry Stark, conceptual artist on his website. And that's a thing from his era. I mean, today you don't call yourself a conceptual artist, even though you're working conceptually. Should every artist, young artist, come and see this exhibit? Absolutely. I think it would be fun for all ages. There's a very sculptural component to the show. It's a large-scale wallet. I think it's about 15 feet tall. Our daughters helped with the framing and building of the wallet. Jill helped build the structure, which the wallet is mounted on. There's music and video It's a pretty interesting show. It has a lot of working parts. There's so many helpers, really, to make this show fun. Larry was in his 20s when he did, you know, the merry month of May, when he traveled across the USA, eating McDonald's all the way. He was 29 years old. Surprising he lived through that. (laughs) Well, that's the interesting thing, too, with young people. You know, my students are in their 20s. You would never hitchhike across the USA in this day and age. It's a different era. Here's some young people that were responding to American culture, in the 1960s and 70s. So I think it's a fascinating time capsule, and I think students, you know, the same, but the times are different. Hmm. And we have Mm -hmm. perspective on that time now. You know, we're learning about what's happening to us. Knowing what you know about your colleagues and people who are in your quote-unquote profession in 2022, are there Larry Starks out there today? Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, everyone's unique, but yeah, I think, I think so. The appeal of Larry's stuff is that it's so simple. I mean, I had a brownie reflex camera when I was a kid. That's the best I could do. Good question for you as an instructor, as a mentor of young people. Have you run across people who are Larry-ish? His perspective on life, how he gives it to us as an artist. Oh, yes. Larry's just responding to American culture. I think we're all responding to the culture and the world around us. He, he knows he's a hippie. He calls himself a long hair. He's really aware of who he is, what he looks like, what class he fits into, He's aware of uh, wealth, racism, 
homogenization of culture, concepts and ideas most artists are intrigued by, I would say. To be fair to the work ethic, though, I think that it's unusual somebody dedicates their whole life to art making. He did have great support in his wife, Barb, his family even. They all hopped in the van and drove across the country with him at times. So between now and August 28th, why should people come and see this exhibit? What are they going to get out of it? Well, Larry's art is his legacy. Aren't you curious to see what comes out of a lifetime's worth of work? I agree, and I think it's, um, it's a time capsule. And it's full of youth, and it's full of reflection on American culture, and it's something that we can all relate to today. Uh, and it's exciting. I, I highly recommend it to anyone. Pablo Galleries are free and they're open to the public Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. and prior to theater performances. Let's jam in a few Spectrum memos here. Next Tuesday the 19th, the UW River Falls presents a free concert featuring the kids from Wisconsin at the Melvin Wall Amphitheater on campus. If it rains, it'll be in the Hunt Arena in the Falcon Center. A retrospective exhibit of works by Patricia Mayhew Ham, the award-winning experimental artist, is now up at the Heidi Center in Chippewa Falls. The opening reception is uh, this evening, 5 to 7 p.m., and the show is up through August 17th. We'll be walking through the exhibit with her on next week's show. The Spring Valley Stagehands present Pippin, the musical, now through Sunday and next Thursday through Sunday. Spring Valley Theater. Tickets at svstagehands.org. Next week, poet Thomas R. Smith's new collection, A Grand Dame of West Wisconsin Art, meets me at the gallery, as I mentioned just a moment ago. We're going to talk with a 20-year-old who's done more than most seniors and seems like it's been around, oh, much longer than 20 years, and a book to help the kids grow in a couple ways. Thanks, Rick and Kate, for the plugs. Thank you all for hanging with us. You can catch archived past episodes at WPR.org, or there are podcasts out there that carry our noise as well. I'm Al Ross. See you next week. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot.